Welcome to Ask Andy featuring Andrew Redleaf. Ask Andy is sponsored by Park State Bank. Visit www.parkstatebank.com for all your banking needs. I want to talk a little bit about the mechanics of monetary policy, the plumbing and the connections between the Fed and the real economy. The first point that I think is critical and, and not emphasized enough is that the Fed has much, much, much less influence on the real economy, transactions, business, both than it used to and than people think. Um, Fed policy, monetary policy has a great deal of influence on asset prices, but much less on actual business. This is clear both from uh, experience and from a theoretic analytic point of view. You know, first, on the uh, experiential level, we can see monetary policy over the last 10 years looser and more accommodative than anybody could ever have speculated was possible. And yet, consumer price inflation tame for really 10 years. So if one attributes the current inflation to Fed policy, it happened with a 10-year lag. If one looks at business investment, you know, during this period of exceptionally low interest rates and extraordinary Fed ease, one sees, you know, very little relationship between capital investment, business investment, and interest rates and monetary policy. Now, perhaps had monetary policy not been as loose, business investment would have collapsed post-financial crisis instead of growing uh, tepidly. You know, um, we don't know, but for sure we can say that ultra-easy monetary policy did not lead to a capital spending boom. And just from an anecdotal, experiential, common sense point of view, this makes sense. Typically, businesses for capital projects are going to be looking for a double-digit kind of return on investment before they make a long-term capital investment. Obviously, whether they can borrow at two, two and a half, three, three and a half is not the gating factor on an investment that they would hope to yield double digits. So the transmission mechanism of monetary policy the evidence shows isn't in common sense, isn't through business investment. It's either through a wealth effect via the inflation of asset prices or alternately and in addition through spurring housing booms. Though again, the um, income effect for consumers on uh, refinancing at lower rates is completely offset by the negative income effect on savers. So there could in fact be a modest boost to consumption as uh, definitionally the saver class has a uh, lower propensity to consume. Now, one of the significant changes 
post-financial crisis. Pre-financial crisis, banks did not hold excess reserves. So the uh, Fed requires, when a bank takes a deposit, they are required to hold some of that at the Fed as reserves. That amount is, is required reserves. To the extent that they have more than that um, in cash or at the Fed, those are excess reserves. Prior to this recent period, um, the Fed did not pay interest on reserves and other assets, did in fact earn interest, so banks would not carry excess reserves. Post-financial crisis, the Fed has started to pay interest on excess reserves, and there are now several trillion dollars in excess reserves that banks are holding at the Fed. This, in part, is responsible for there being less transmission from Fed policy to the real economy in that much of the money that the Fed creates when it buys government debt has, in fact, come right back to the Fed in the form of excess reserves. So they created money, but it didn't go anywhere. It sat essentially in the Fed vault. And this is why we see a noticeable diminishment in the velocity of money during this period of great monetary creation. In the past, you know, again, you know, kind of pre-financial crisis, pre the Fed paying interest on excess reserves, the Fed exercised monetary policy by, you know, either buying or selling short-term bills and in doing that, either creating reserves as if they bought or uh, reducing reserves if they were sellers of bills. So very minor adjustments in the Fed balance sheet in terms of buying or selling. Treasuries translated in, into reserves and with a multiple translating very directly into the supply of lendable funds that the banking system uh, had. Now, currently, with trillions of dollars of excess reserves, draining or adding reserves um, does not affect the availability of bank credit. The system is completely awash in banks' ability to lend in terms of reserves. Now, the Fed can, in fact, raise or lower interest rates through the mechanism of raising or lowering what they pay on excess reserves. And, and prior to the pandemic, the Fed was paying something at the peak, one and three quarter percent on, on excess reserves, which they took down to between zero and 25. And this uh, will directly affect the cost of borrowing for the most creditworthy borrowers whose uh, rates are closely tied to rates that the Fed sets. But again, this, in terms of the real economy, has and will have very, very marginal effects. You know, again, business investment just is not driven by whether uh, short-term money is available at 50 basis points, 75 basis points, 150 basis points. Much more sensitive to uh, businesses' perceptions of opportunity and the absolute availability of credit as opposed to 
its price. For uh, most of monetary history, in fact, price and availability have always been in play, and it isn't the case that lendable funds are, are always available, dependent, at a price. So we can say fairly conclusively that the Fed really can't reduce the, the availability of credit. They can, in fact, influence the price, but not the general availability. And this is a change over the last 10, 15, 20 years. So for much of the reign of the last, really, three Fed chiefs, the Fed has consistently stated a belief that in the event of inflation occurring, they have the tools to control it and keep it in check. But again, first, somewhat surprisingly, it took a very, very long time for inflation to appear after extraordinarily loose monetary policies. Symmetrically, inflation having taken hold their instruments and uh, policy levers and control is much, much weaker than they hope or believe. Now, in my opinion, certainly not with uh, moderate incremental kinds of tightening moves. So that said, six or eight or nine months ago, when I predicted that there would be a 5% CPI in 2021, um, it was a provocative statement and an outline statement and uh, wider than, you know, pretty much anybody with forecasting reputational uh, risk would put out there. Now, it's happened. Uh, so I, you know, having, having made that statement, I do want to uh, pat myself on the back at, at, at least once. But more importantly, suggest that this inflation will, in fact, become somewhat entrenched and problematic. So again, you know, making an outline kind of prediction, I expect inflation over the next five years to average over 4%. Again, from a monetary or fiscal policy perspective, the only way to prevent this, in my opinion, is to really bludgeon the economy uh, on the uh, fiscal front, spending cuts, tax increases, causing you know a, a significant recession. So nobody on either side of the aisle, on either end of Pennsylvania Avenue, in the Fed building, or Congress has the stomach for this, and academic policy advisors on both the left and right would believe the costs of uh, bludgeoning the economy are not worth the benefits of avoiding material inflation over the next handful of years. Just as an aside, I believe my view and the idea of uh, somewhat persistent inflation at a uh, mid-single-digit level 
is consistent with historical experience. The inflation of the 70s and the double-digit inflation of the late 70s was, as this inflation will be, was 10 years or so or more in the making. Because I don't see punitive monetary policy anywhere on the horizon, and certainly not austere fiscal policy anywhere on the horizon, a crash in asset prices is not something that I think is of undue concern. Again, to summarize, the Fed has moved up its timeline in terms of tightening. I think it will move it up further still that this, you know, will in all likelihood temporarily halt bull markets in financial assets. But the Fed will remain behind the curve. There will be inflation in both financial assets and, more importantly, in consumer prices. And uh, the Fed's action will have very, very little effect on both inflation and growth. The policy will remain stimulative, though somewhat less so. And this spike, uh, which we can't really call a spike because it won't be transitive, this will persist and look for 4% or higher average annual inflation over the next five years. That's my view. Sticking to it. Thank you all. Look forward to questions. Thank you for listening to Ask Andy. If you would like to submit a question, please email askandypodcast at gmail.com. Ask Andy is sponsored by Park State Bank. Visit www.parkstatebank.com for all your banking needs.